Welcome, everyone. Uh, Dennis and Karen are out this week. Uh, um, nice little trip to see Karen's little brother. Um, can't miss out on that. Uh, so you can pray for them as they go down south and head back up for Family Friday on Friday. Uh, there's a lot going on in East Oakland. Um, a lot. One of the major questions we've been asking recently is, you know, how does one change? How do you take a young man off the corner, off the block to stop how they've been living their lives for the past 20 years with a lack of opportunity, lack of education, lack of family structure, you know, gone into dope dealing, pimping, or worse. And how do you sort of leave that and convince him to leave that to, to re-going to school, doing something positive and not negative with their life, uh, gaining a skill or a, a job, discovering a talent, just somehow reigniting a passion. How do you do that? And likewise with the young girls on the streets, we've been entering more and more into uh, the sex trafficking fight. We've, we've always been in it, but just more of supporting the background, going on the walks. Um, we're not there actually confronting pimps, etc. I sent some young men to uh, one of the meetings, and there were former uh, you know, ladies who were on the street and just thinking through like, what did it for you? How did you change to come up off that track? And same, you know, get healing, get a job, discover a passion, and, and not go back into that. And, and, and some of you know who are a part of that, and we're sending, you know, we can pray for Amy this week. I believe she's, you're going this week, right, Amy, to um, CSEC training, which is put on by a number of nonprofits. And you're amazing, Amy, with your three babies going there. You're going you're gonna <laughs> to be something else for them. So I love it. Um, you know, the bigger question comes up, as with most things, that it's not just the individual there, right? You might have to hit systems because that person may not be out there prostituting on their own, that they may have been abused and trafficked and drugged, right? So there we're talking about changing environments and not just the inv- individual. We're talking about working with OPD, the police department, so that they don't treat uh, the women as criminals, but more as victims who are oppressed and enslaved, right? We may work with businesses who are supporting this activity to close down motels, to punish businesses that let this type of stuff happen. We may have to work with the city council to put up billboards around and say, we're going to really go after the johns and the pimps, and your first offense is going to be five years, no questions asked. You just get five years. We don't care. So just don't even touch this whole area of sex trafficking, right? And so that's a question... You know, that, that, that comes up as we get into this work. Um, we've seen some success, some success uh, with Tribe in these areas. Um, you know, guys who were on a trajectory to be dead or in jail, and now, uh, for the most part, their lives are, are about something positive and, <clears throat> and not negative. Um, we've seen... Just, uh, just even this past week, one young man in particular, he told, uh, you know, I feel like every day or every other day I'm in the van riding with a group of guys and I'm hearing just these amazing stories that I can't believe they're sharing, right? And they're, they're just coming from a census meeting, a job interview, cleaning the park, a uh, sex trafficking meeting, and they're just sharing and saying, I'm going to just be real with y'all real quick. You know, I went and robbed like everybody because I was on dope and and I robbed, the, like, the main guys down the street, all the big dudes. And next thing I know, I come on my house, and, and everybody is out there. And, and they just basically lock me up right there and say, we're not going to kill you yet. 
but we own you. And we don't want to see you on these streets. We want you going to a job and back. However you got to get this money, you need to pay us back, pay them back with interest. And until then, we own you. And I was just like, whoa. He's like, yeah, that was like five years ago. I don't mess with dope anymore. That got me. And that wasn't even an incident that got him off of dope. It was another amazing thing that he shared. You know, and just uh, success. I just read, you know, what he wrote me a text last night. He said, Drew, I love this kind of stuff. He didn't use the word stuff. He said, helping all communities and looking out for as many people as I can. I just want to thank you for the opportunity, man. I got tough love for you. It's just amazing, like, to see where he came from. Um, And likewise, we're working with parents, mainly uh, mothers, single mothers, who may have been depressed, unemployed for a period of time. And they work with Tribe for a little bit, become the main, you know, earners off of a part-time Really, really part-time. It's almost a quarter-time salary for what most may make in this room. And, and they're able to be in a better place where the kids have some opportunity. They're able to pay the rent, not be behind. Um, we see success not just on the individual level, but also on sort of more of a uh, corporate level. You know, getting playgrounds for schools. Opening up the first public school in the city of Oakland in 10 years. Uh, dual immersion, middle school. Um, we've seen uh, change in policies for us talking to the police, talking to city council, more resources for jobs, less for suppression type of enforcement. Um, there's a lot of work that we've done, and we've, we've seen some success. But as we've seen the success, it seems like the big question of how does change come about has led to a bigger question of what's all the change for? Where are we going? And I know, you know, if you have uh, somebody who's maybe not into the work a little more, a little less mature, just say, well, it's all for Jesus. You know, it's all for Jesus' name. And, and yeah, but let's put a bottom to that, some meaning, uh, you know, because we're not asking this question just philosophically, like Solomon had a lot of time to philosophically think about these things. Um, we're asking this question because it's coming up on the field on the regular. Uh, for instance, like a mom that we're working with who was clean for 10 years, became a big community leader, was giving out grants to help other families who are in, other mothers who are in crisis get out. She's talking to them and all of a sudden it seemed like the next week she's hooked back on freebasing crack, you know, freebasing cocaine, otherwise known as crack. And it's like, you know, none of the rules apply to her like it did before. And we're starting to ask the question, like, because we can't send her to rehab. Sure, it's been 10 times. It's like she just got to make that decision. And then we, we're thinking in our minds, oh, what? We just want her to be well. That's it. But what does it mean to be well? You know, um, I think of a, an old executive director who's been working in the field for 40 years. He's wrote, wrote parcel taxes. If you live in Oakland, it's because of him that you pay 200 extra dollars a a year in parcel taxes, because these all go to a special set-aside for to, 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 to really be about families and children. He's given hundreds, if not thousands of people jobs to work with families and children so that they can do, send texts like, you know, like this young man sent to me about loving to work with the community, and I have conversations with him, and he's at a place in life wondering, did he make any difference at all? What's this all for? You know, what's going on? And, and he's thinking about going smaller now rather than, you know, getting bigger. And, um, you know, we've all heard the fables since we were children, seen movies, uh, heard about the big sports stars who had it all, as respected, as, as honored as can be, and they end their life or they, uh, you know, they talk in a way. And I'm not talking about football players who have, you know, brain damage. 
but I'm talking about, you know, basketball players who hardly get in contact at all, and they just, I don't, I, you know, just the depression hits. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this all for. I've hit the epitome what you can hit. And believe me, if you're a professional, if you're the top of your field, and right now I'm naming movie stars and athletes and stuff, but you don't have to be that. You can be in your job. You had to really put in some work and really, like, listen, put all your skill, be the best of the best of the best, and then be able to come to that point and have the bottom drop out of it. And you ask that question, what are we working towards? Is it all worth it? What was my life really amounting to? Is there any any real lasting value worth to my life? Is there any legacy that's worthy of history? David, great king, 3,000 years ago, asked the same question. As I said, not as much as Solomon did because Solomon didn't have endless war like David did. I mean, Solomon wrote a whole book, Ecclesiastes, just sort of contemplating what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And in the end, he just came up with something which is kind of satisfactory to me sometimes, you know, just to duty a man, just to carry out his commands and praise him. But but, uh, David here in Chronicles 29 end of his life, this is on his heart. He too is contemplative. All that he's done, does it measure up? Was it worth it? And I think what Psalm, not Psalm, Chronicle 29 is sharing um, with David, his answer, if you were to ask him in one word, it's like, was it worth it? Point to one thing. And he would say, the temple. Not the building, because God wouldn't let him build the building, because he, he had too much blood on his hands. But he would say the temple. And for David, uh, you know, the temple, you could see what it represented for him. There's so much joy. It's, it's overwhelmed here. He's saying, praise be to you, Lord of our Father in Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours is the greatness and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Heaven and earth is just praising word, a big word after big word. Um, you might say, well, of course, you know, David, uh, he has something to speak of. He has a legacy that he can be able to, you know, it's not just a temple. He probably has like five other things he could name right to say that his life was worth living because he was... Maybe not given this, but he earned all this. And he had this power and this privilege and this position and these people. Um, I mean, to build God a temple, uh, you know, to house God. Who knew God was homeless, right? Um, this was to provide a place of worship. Uh, and this was like David's thing, and, and he's pointed to it. He's so happy. And, and, and as I studied the passage this past week, it really hit me like, as we do this work in Oakland, as you do your work, as you live out your life, go to school, um, you know, get education, raise your family, uh, your children, and, and continue in your careers, think about next moves, your ministry. It's like this bigger question is always popping up of God, uh, what is it that, that you really want me to focus on? You know, where should I end up? Where is my compass? Uh, what is my temple? Um, how do I get to this place that David's at? Um, Let's just take a look at the passage and get in to see how David got into this place. I think it really informs us of like worthwhile steps, critical decision points, um, the choice that we do have, choices we don't have, you know, just how life is. And, 
And, you know, and, and then just what is the hype that's out there that we often, too often, get caught up in because we're hurt, we're hardened, and we just want to focus on these sometimes vicious cycles of, of not really focusing on the real. Um, but this morning, we are going to try to look at the real a little bit and see is, say, what are these elements? And it basically br- breaks down for David into three elements that he had. Uh, it's, he had community. He had this deep understanding, belief that it's all about God, that it starts and end with, ends with God. And then this third thing he had is that, that, that he had, there's some role, there's some part, some decision that he had. Now, this is something that's no different than what's preached every Sunday. And in fact, one thing that Dennis hits every single Sunday, that it's all on God. Our part is very minimal. It's a response that we have. Um, and, and last week, Dennis hit, you know, second thing he hits, you know, love God and love your neighbor is just community. Be a part of community. Let, let's see how these things come out. Uh, I want to really focus on applications this morning, but I want to spend like the next 10 minutes of just drawing out uh, and looking deeply into these three elements. The first thing, community, it's, it's verse 10. It says that David praise the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. He wasn't alone. It wasn't like a John the Baptist type of movement where he was just going to do it himself in his closet like meditating in the morning, stacking some rocks up, letting the water flow. You know, it's like the more you go into worship and what is pure worship, you do it with other people. And that's why it's a really unique thing to, to like the most unique thing about church. It doesn't have to be inside of a church. It doesn't have to be at church. It can be with your family. But just I feel like the more people, the more diverse people, the better. One purpose, giving as much as they could in worship, unified. And he's leading them to praise God together in this motion. And I feel like uh, community is experienced on a, a lot of different levels, maybe not on this epitome, epitomic, I don't know what that's the word, on this top level of, of, of worship. But, you know, in, in our area, in East Oakland, like sometimes when we have events at Bella Vista, I'm up at the stage and I'm just kind of looking out and there's music playing, Halloween costumes, jumpers, and hundreds of youth volunteering, hundreds and hundreds of youth have, kids having fun, and parents who don't speak the same language looking at each other, giving each other a nod. And sometimes I can feel like I just stop and say, let's just give everyone a hand clap. You know, that's community. You can experience it on a lot of different levels. You know, a PTA, moving the same direction in the school, uh, you know, sometimes neighborhood YouTube videos of just claiming your block, claiming your neighborhood. Uh, definitely, you know, I've already talked about church, worship, and your own family. I think that's why our kids enjoy Thanksgiving so much, is actually spending the time to cook a meal, you know, for eight hours, six hours. I don't know how long it takes you to do your turkey, but the, all the kids are anticipating. And, you know, really, for the time that it takes to cook the meal, sometimes we don't sit down for like, but for 30 minutes, you know. But our kids remember that we were unified as one, as a community, to eat this meal together. Um, so that's community, the first thing that's in the passage. Uh, the second thing that David had is this, this intense sense of who God was and that he was in charge and that it was all about God. It all flowed from God and his graciousness. Uh, some of the verses here, it says, um, you know, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is a kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you, the rule over all things. Your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength. Now, our God, we, we give you thanks and, and praise your glorious name. Um, you know, this is something that is really, really tough. And 
as it's preached week in and week out, and there's like two, I feel like there's two things that happen. Either we hear it more and more, and it's like a balm to our wounds, like, yes, Lord, it's, it's on you. It takes the pressure off. But then sometimes it, it just kind of goes in one ear, and it just hardens up and goes out the other. Like, like okay, it, it, the meaning is, is, is starting to get lost. If it's all up to God, you know, what, what's our part? And, and before I go to the third part of, of us having a role and David understanding that, I feel like you can't, you'll always get your role messed up. If you don't have this thing first of who God is, that it's all up to him, his graciousness, his love. And David captured that and would not lose that. All the disciples, any disciple, any apostle, any follower of Jesus, that's what it means to be a Christian is to have that. Not, not to do anything, not to, it's first and always this. And then it's from this place that flows this third thing that David had an understanding of of who he was, and, and that he had a role in this too as well. Um, he says, you know, uh, he's praying, who, who, who am I? But, but we've given generally, gen, gen, generously back to you, uh, even though our days are like a shadow without hope. Uh, but all this, all this abundance we provide, you provided for us, and we, we give it back to you, it belongs to you. Um, Lord, you test the heart, and you're pleased for integrity. All these things I've given Willingly and with honest intent. And then he says a prayer of, of, of may, may my son and my people continue with this sort of heart. You know, this, this understanding, of this gratitude. Um, and, and in our life, we have critical decision points of choosing to follow Jesus when Jesus comes near and wants us to make a decision. Getting baptized, of, of choosing a path, choosing. And we're really hoping that some of the young men, they come to a place and I know it's all going to be led by God, whether they know it or not. But, you know, 19, 20 years old, they're, they're hooked on this weed, syrup, pills game. And, 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 and those are it's just so uh, bad because on the surface they seem like, oh, it's just pills and, and this. But, you know, it's like liquid heroin that, that they're taking in. And, and you don't know what the stuff is mix, mixed with. And, and before you know it, they're taking it three or four times a day in a Sprite. And it's like, how, how do you make that decision? And at different critical points, the Lord wants us to make those decisions and have a part to say, yes, I will take that on. Um, this past week had some encouraging, uh, two encouraging things happened. You know, one guy out of the blue, and he has a street tattooed right here on the corner of his forehead. Drew, I'm humbling myself. I'm asking you to help me get a job. I said, cool, come over. You know, he rocks with me for a couple of days. I don't see him for the next week. Text him. My door's always open. Let me know when you're ready, right? Another guy gave application to, didn't hear from him for like two weeks, but then he says, I lost the application, I'm going to pull up tonight, where are you going to be? I'm in the park, pulls up with his baby mom and baby, takes the application, and I said, if you're ready Monday, let's go. He says, I'm ready. You know, and, and just these different points just to make a decision of, of what our part is. Um, it may be a, t- a time and a place where you choose to get out of a healthy relationship or choose to press into a relationship. Um, you know, of course, we're looking at some of our young men and women to, to leave the block, to leave the track, to move, to, to do something different. Uh, these three elements you see that flow is all about community. It's all about this understanding that it comes from God and that we have some role in this to play. And, you know, these things, when it's said over and over again, um, you kind of miss the question of where, how did we get here? How did David get here to have a strong community where they're worshiping on this next level? 
How did he get here to have this strong faith in God? And how did he know what his role is, especially with his role to not like overstress himself and, and go over the, the line of what he is supposed to do and, and take it upon himself and go more legalistic, um, go more into his own strength and doing stuff? How does he know? How, do you, how does he get that balance um, and, and not go into self-righteousness and judgment? I, mean, I think it's, again, so easy to fall in that. And I like this passage because within 10 verses, it just brings up all these little points of, of how, you know, David's mind and psyche, his heart, his spirituality was working through this. He said in verse 13, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? We are foreigners and strangers in your sight as we were all, as all our ancestors were. Our days are like a shadow without hope. I think it started with David understanding who he was and having the courage to actually face who he was and not put up a smokescreen because it was too traumatic to deal with who he actually was. Maybe some of you are far from that place, but I'm only close to it because I'm wretched, but also we work closely with people who are very close to this place. And I see so much, the same wretchedness in me that's in them, but they put a bigger spin on it. And I've just learned not to bigger, put a bigger spin on it. And I can actually admit that, yes, our days are like a shadow, fleeting. There's some substance there, but it's really nothing. David has understanding that, that he was a foreigner. He had no citizenship, no documentation, no papers, no privilege, nothing. He, he's coming to the visa desk. It's like, I have absolutely nothing to ask from you, God. We're foreigners. We're aliens. We may be enemies. That's an understanding of, of that, that David had. That he didn't deserve anything, no special treatment. And if you think that David's being hard on himself, um, you know, in that verse 13, he's saying, who am I and who are my people and my ancestors? Um, I think we're really good at shaming ourselves. I mean, shame is a, and I want to use a word, but I can't. You know, shame is, none of us will ever be good at dealing with shame. You don't hear TED Talks about shame. You know, like, oh, this is how you get, because no one wants to ever deal with shame. You want to crawl up into your bed. In fact, you want someone to drive you far away and start a new life. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, maybe some of you haven't experienced shame. And uh, when you're younger, you experience a lot more of it. I won't give any recent examples because it's just too much for me to share. But, uh, you know, different points, just, you know, literally getting caught with my towel falling down. I mean, that's just like an innocent example in front of the whole camp and everyone's laughing at me, right? You know, but there's other points where I've made such mistakes, you know, hit, hit, hit someone's car and I just, you know, I didn't run away, but I didn't leave a note. I was going to come back. I was going to come back, you know. And those are just like minor examples. I mean, there's shame, shame, shame. And sometimes people put shame on other people. But those of you who've been through shame and are stronger to commitment know how painful that it is. That's why when we sing some of these songs, like trading my sorrows, trading my shame, my shame is undone. It's like, God, you, do you really do that? That is just amazing. You know, David's not in the place where he's beating himself up, thinking about his shame. Because he had every reason to with Bathsheba, you know, remembering that killing Bathsheba's husband to cover it all up, um, you know, forever punishing himself like we're so good at doing. Uh, 
Now what David is doing here is he's just doing the first step. The first of the 12 steps. Uh, that's straight from the Bible. Just stopping the denial. Admitting that we're powerless. And our lives have always been unmanageable. It's just we come to a place to actually re- realize that that's always been that way. It's not, it just didn't become that way. Now, if things just got left there, it would be terrible. And there'd be no choice but to pretend that it's not there and live your life as if you were, had something to, to really be happy about, right? And a lot of people do that. I mean, and, and, and fall into this trap of working hard to get further away from the reality of the situation. I don't know if you know some people like that, but those people, man, they could run marathons and, and work till 5 in the morning and can hardly get any sleep. I mean, I'm totally judging and generalizing, but... But it's just my, my heart goes out because I just want to share with them the great news, which is the good news. That even though we were enemies, even though we don't deserve it, God came close. And God chose to step over the chasm and create a bridge. That bridge's name is Jesus. So that Jesus would take all of our punishment that was due us. There's justice that needs to be met. It is demanded by God's laws, by the, the very nature of who, of who God is. But God chose to take that justice to all the shame upon himself in the being, in his being, his son, Jesus, so that Jesus, as he's lifted up, we can be seen as Jesus is seen. And that's how shame is undone. And, you know, as I explain that, and I've explained that maybe 1,500 times in my life, maybe more, right, to different people preaching this. and I still don't understand it, and my words never do it justice. It's a spiritual, emotional, spiritual thing. Lord, this is great exchange. I'm trading my sorrows, and you're giving me your forgiveness here. You know, it's the gospel just, just working, this, this great exchange that's happening. Jesus took all our shame, all the punishment for sins, wrongs, and the good news, the great news about this, besides just that moment, and we call that like being born again. It's just, there's a moment that you get, a happy birth, a spiritual birthday. I'm born again. Thank you, Jesus. Baptize me. Do whatever, you, you know, throw me up in the air, you know. Let, let my life end, right? Let God call me right then and there. But usually it doesn't happen. You still have to live life. And then the question comes up again. Like, how do you change? How do you keep this thing? And, and I think that, that this is how a heart changes continually. It's not going to all of a sudden, now we have the strength to follow God's commands, but it's, it's God is loving us. And so your heart, and you may be someone where your heart doesn't feel a lot of stuff. You know, like I haven't cried in like five, maybe longer years. I don't know why sometimes I get like, you know, something wrong? Do I need to work through some stuff? I, I need to be, you know. But how do you make your heart feel something to the point of really being emotional? And so it's, your whole body feels it. How do you make your heart feel gratitude when it doesn't? How do you love someone you don't love anymore, but you need to love them? How do you, you know, how? And it's this. It starts with this. David, this feeling that he had in his heart, you can see it coming out of the passage, really appreciating Realizing the depth of what they were doing, how much they were giving, this feeling of joy and fulfillment and love, um, it all comes from realizing and accepting that it starts with God 
And God is pressing into us and he's giving us love and graciousness and wealth and honor and strength. That he's chosen to accept us as foreigners. That that we love because God loved us first. We love because God loved us first. Um, Some examples. uh, My daughter Mirabelle. um, I've been a father 13 years and I feel like that I am a worse father today than I was 13 years ago, believe it or not. And maybe I just realize it in my mind how bad I'm doing, or maybe I'm just tireder. Um, but it just got so clear to me when I was looking back. You know, for those parents that can drive, you know that most of the time you're looking at your kids in the rear view, right? You're not even looking at them straight anymore because you're like looking at your phone or your TV. So most of the time when you're looking at your kids in the rear view, right? And it just hit me like what I put into my kids is what I get out. And that's the immense power that we have as parents. We have very, very little control how they're going to end up, but we do have this, these moments of, of what we put in. And, and, and I can be this, stop doing that. What are you doing? Raise me. And then she just gets his face. I can stop you like, baby, what are you doing? Can I just give you a big hug right now because I'm really upset and I want to yell at you. But I'm going to give you a big hug and we're going to talk about this when I'm calm. She's gonna, you know, another example is, is I took a, a big group to uh, a, a game as we do with youth, like 2030, and, and um, one of the boys, he's a young kid, I think close to kindergarten or something, and at the end he was tired, of course, and it was my bad that I should have just told the parent we can't, you know, take your, it's just, you know, second grade, but he's, he started to just really act up around everyone. And finally, I feel like I need to put the, the hammer down. I need to be like the lawgiver here and come here, sit down. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you do this, you're never going to come back to a tribe event ever again. And then he just locked up. He was holding on to all these fences in Berkeley. He was kicking me when he could. I'm, I don't want to embarrass him too much further, but he just, I never had a kid treat me like that, you know? And if I were one of my own kids, I mean, you know, so it's like, and I couldn't stop. It was like more and more confrontation. How dare you? It was this confrontation, right? And I realized like when it was too late and I didn't have the strength to do it, I should have just got down on my knees. And I said, young brother, I know you're tired. I'm tired. Can I just give you a big hug? I just want to give you a big hug. And if you didn't want to, I would have hugged him anyway. Just said, let's, let's just connect right here, right now. I, said, I want to stop saying this. And you're welcome. You're welcome most every time, you know. We're going to have a talk about this later because you're tired, but it's my bad too, you know. And I would have just flipped it. You see, the world's way is to hit hard and to oppress and to enslave and to force with power. And then your choice gets very limited. Your choice is to run and to pretend. Because when met with a greater force, you're just going to run and pretend. There's nothing you can do when you try to meet that. God's way, God's love is to come with graciousness, forgiveness, um, just opening up of our hearts in a way that allows us to have a choice to change, a choice to do something, a choice. It just allows us this thing of like, wow, God, you really love me. I'm born again. I got baptized. And now this new life, what it's about is that you're constantly loving me. I need to keep that channel open. And as you're loving me and as you bring me to a point of decision, I need that, that there's something that you want me to do here. 
And I'm not going to do it in a way that, oh, no, if I don't do it, I'm going to, because when we were enemies, he still was there for us. So if we go forward, we go, go forward with a, a great faith and understanding and reassurance that it doesn't matter what choice we make. It's like, God, you're here with us, and you just want us to grapple with this. Um, this is how we have a choice through trauma, years of depression, perhaps self-medication of alcohol and drugs, bad relationships. And this is where healthy people go who have trauma. Is that hard work, you know, example I gave of running a lot and, you know, working, making lots of money. So you're just running. Um, but we, we can have a choice when, when God loves us like this. We, this is how we have a choice to be a part of a family, a community again. Even though we've been hurt, abused, Dennis talked about this last week, being betrayed and abandoned. You know, we have a choice still that when we've been really, really jacked up, orphaned, widowed, experiencing single parenthood, racism. We see that a lot in Oakland, sexism. And enemies out of nowhere just popping up, looking for our demise, um, health scare. You know, these are the things that really take away and, and we start questioning God and his love for us. When we're in a tough spot with no end in sight, we have a choice because of God's grace in our lives. That in the midst of hardship and suffering, not the absence of it, God comes near to us. It's not that, I don't think God takes our shame away, not to the point that we cannot feel it anymore. And I like that word undone, because it's a process that God is doing. And within our shame, The feeling is not that other people aren't looking at us like we should be ashamed of ourselves, but it's that God is sitting next to us through it. Saying how that person is looking at you is looking at me too. And there's something that's powerful there. It's that same thing with my daughter Mirabel, with the other young boy, that there's this choice that was there besides when when I got at that young boy and his immediate response was, I don't care what you do to me. You know, that's our response. And it's like this, it's like this with God. Um, and I think this is what it means when David says in the passage, uh, you test hearts. I know, my God, that you test the heart. You know, a test is not a test unless there's a possibility of failure or success, right? I think a test is another way to say there's a choice. You know, there's, it can go either way. God tested David, a man after God's own heart. Will you still believe and be with me after you did this bad thing? And I killed your, I killed your first son with Bathsheba. Will you still believe? You know, God tested Moses. God tested Adam and Eve in the garden. Will you still be loyal to me and love me and be with me and trust that that is enough, even though there's this enticing tree over here that's going to give you possibly something more? Will you still be with me? Like, why did God put the tree in the garden? It was a test. God tested Ruth to stick with her own people and not go, stick with her new people that God had given her rather than go back to the old ways, even though there's very good reason and people are wanting her to go back. It's just this choice to make. God tested Hannah to give up her son Samuel after she'd been barren for years and years. Will you do that? You know, a choice is not a choice unless there's more than one option. And if God overwhelmed us with power on the one side, there would be no choice for us. Like, I often hear that. Why don't God just make himself clear? Why doesn't God just do it? And sometimes I pray that. And I remember talking with Dennis one week saying, I just think that God needs to give $5,000 to, like, 10 families that it's in my mind right now. In fact, he did that. He gave $10,000 to every family. He just, he just gave it over a period of, like, 10 months rather than, like, immediately, you know. And... 
you know, if, if God were to constantly be doing that, there just would be no choice. Sometimes I think, I don't know how some of these people who've seen like miracles in India or Brazil or Africa, it's always these other places other than the West, right? You know, if they see someone come back from the dead, how the heck are they fretting about anything, right? Uh, but then I remember like, I've seen actually some guys come back from the dead too. In the hospital, gunshot wounds, heart attacks, and dead. And it, it could be like a medical thing where, you know, they're dead for a little bit, doctors claim they're dead, and then they'll... You know, we pray and they come back. I've seen that happen too. But it's like I've also seen this other side where God allows, where there's so much coldness in the world. The world gets colder and colder. The doubt rises up and you start thinking, well, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe, God, you're not this powerful. Whatever the case, I don't understand you, God. Maybe you're aloof. Maybe that's the type of God you are and you really aren't pressing close. And right now I just need to go through this. You know, there's so many ways to test the physical heart, right? EKG, ultrasound, stress tests. CT scan, et cetera, et cetera. But how does God test the spiritual heart? I think what God is saying in this passage, David is saying, is he brings together these circumstances, right? Where on the one side, he's done stuff in our lives. He's given us stuff. He's given us a place to live. He's given us a job. He's given us health. He's given us just a feeling of, of goodness in the morning, right? Just simple, simple as that. But then there's all this other stuff, and we're at this critical point of decision, are we going to choose to believe God? You know, it's his test in our hearts. And he brings it all out. It has to be both. To bring the, heart, the spiritual heart out, you need to bring all these actions and circumstances in to actually bring. Because we're, we're so good at ducking and dodging and being artificial with it and to have this come out. And you know when the heart leads, it puts everything else in place. Our minds, you know, a lot of us think like, oh, we could just will our way into it in our bodies. I'm just going to get in shape or whatever. And but it's like our heart comes in and takes the rightful place of leading. And then our minds and our bodies, our wills, our emotions, everything sort of goes. And if we go into a bad place and close up, all of our actions and bodies and minds will go that direction. If we open up to God, then, then it's just this other beautiful thing that opens up. And with that beautiful thing that opens up, you know, when you choose God, when you're released and you're finally given and set free and choose not to harden your hearts, when you choose to believe what happens is Chronicles, First Chronicles 29, where you're with your people. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Um, it's where belief in God leads, which is worship, praise. Falling on our knees, lifting up our hands. It's our whole body. As I said, as our heart leads and you don't dance, I mean, I would love, and maybe I'll start praying just because I know some of you guys, right? That, that maybe God may start making us dance as a church, right? Because I know a lot of us don't dance. But it's like if our heart leads, so our body should follow, right? You know? Um, and, and giving all that we have, making these choices that don't make economic, logistical sense. It's, you know, worship is very. An, anachronistic, you know, that, that's like, what's the purpose of that? Why, what, I get sort of meditation because you're centering yourself, but being around other people and giving praise to God. And, and, you know, when you give, you're not giving to the church support, you know, a pastor's salary or pay the rent. You're, you're giving back to God to, to say, Lord, I'm finding ways to give. And this is one of the ways that I'm giving, an easy way that I can give. And then I give in other ways too as well. That's, that's all worship, to truly bond with our community you know, uh, I remember what my high school friend saying to me, uh, you know, Drew, you think of worship, just going to church and then worship. And that, it, 
And that's why I don't like calling, like, when we do music, just worship. I, I say, that's the music that we're worshiping with, right? So when I'm with my family, I, 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 you know, when we pray together and then when we have these moments, we're worshiping God. And we stop and we say, let's just give thanks to God for that. That's worship of God. Um, and again, it's just never meant to be John the Baptist, have, have that type of movement. That was a moment in time, a blip, where God wanted him to separate himself to be an example uh, you know, a uh, herald for the one to come. And who is the one to come? Jesus. Who is Jesus in this person now that we're supposed to be after? He's the ultimate community organizer. He's the most relational being in the history of the universe. And that's who we're supposed to model ourselves after, is not to go esoteric on our own, you know, by ourselves. Uh, but worship is always meant to do with God in community. It's what Chronicles 20, 10 through 29, 10 through 20 is saying. And this is where we get our ultimate place of meaning. This is where we can be able to discover what is it, God, that you have for us? What decisions you want us to make? You know, what's the legacy we have to leave? And it's, it, it's going to be in this fear of having our families, our children, our friends, our church, our community, just leaving that mark of of somehow worshiping together, somehow being together, and all that it takes, you know, community, belief, to strong belief in God, and somehow having a role in that, that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come to this place that makes no sense to be singing, shouting, dancing, giving back to God, but from there flows you know, this power in our lives. The bad will still continue to come, but a life worth living, a life that you know, David is praying here at the end. He says, I, I give my son Solomon the wholehearted, give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees. And please let my people, let their hearts be loyal to you forever. To be able to have the, the, the freedom set from bondage to worship because we choose to, out of an overflow of love that we have for God because God's loved us. I know that's kind of a, um, almost an abstract thing because it's really hard to see that on the daily, on the regular. But if we can make that our compass, we need to get to this place of worship. And it's really special when we have a community of people that we go beyond Bella Vista events where I can just nod to everybody and clap a hand. The people don't know what they're clapping their hand to, right, to some unknown God, to whoever, you know. It's like we actually can say in Jesus' name, Jesus, Emmanuel, you know, you are the king of kings. You know, Yahweh, he's revealed his name to us. All these intimate things. I mean, that is, if that's our compass and that's where we want to be on our deathbed, midlife, you know, when we're born again, um, there is just... I don't know. I feel like I just can't explain it any other way than you know, how David's putting it here in the passage. Um, I just want to invite the band back up as I just end with a few more sentences. Uh, you know, it's my prayer for tribe that, that we can just reach this place you know, with, with all the, the baggage that we come with, all the diversity that we have. You know, I've seen it at times in our church. Um, I pray that it's more and more regular, that, that things would flow from worship, the sense of gratitude, um, just feeling God in our hearts, feeling it in our brothers and sisters. 
I remember seeing it regularly back in the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s at the Vineyard in San Francisco. Um, it, was a, it was a diverse church, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't racially diverse. It was just like more like class, which is, which is a huge thing. You have like bikers next to bankers. You have like lawyers next to the unhoused. You have, you know, just all types of people, you know. And it was a beautiful thing. In fact, it got, the worship was, was flowing just so intensely that they went from Sunday, three services, to we had worship service every single night of the week for like three years. And of, of course, it dissipated after time. There were a lot of problems. We, endless war we always make with each other, right? You know, but, but may we experience that. And my prayer is that, you know, one of the things in the United States, um, in the West, that, that have fallen the great sin of oppression and slavery and capitalism and, and all that is just that, like, we, you know, we separate ourselves on race. And to be able to see a, a movement where I think... I, May the church lead out, and church believers who have in their heart this, this sense of worship of, of my brother and, and you know, this, this discrimination that we have for each other. May, may we get there. And I'm just, I'm just throwing out some examples, things that I personally pray for, things that I'm personally just wondering, you know, what type of movement God's going to do as I see different churches, different people, different pastors, different, you know, just congregants uh, really desiring of God and and I think we need to have this kind of on our minds. Like, where is this all leading? God, what are you doing? Um, may this be our compass. This, this worship of the Lord with as many people as possible, starting with our own families, extending out to our church, to our friends, to people we don't know. And that people can just see this. I mean, just like Emmanuel was talking about this morning. Like in France, this is happening. And, and it's encouraging because we have brothers there that we didn't really knew that we had before this morning, right? Maybe some of us have been there and we knew that. But, but, but that times 10 because we were actually worshiping side by side with other people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much just for this uh, beautiful, beautiful passage. You're just really good to us. We just want to say that we love you and we endeavor to love you more and more. You know the pain that we have that, that keeps us back. You know the questions that we have. You know, as I said, the people that we've lost in our lives, the people that we're far from, the unreconciled relationships, the, just, just goes on and on and on. And, and then you add to that a health scare and just being tired and wondering if we're ever going to be Lord, out of this tough jam, tough spot, and when things are going to happen for us. Lord, we just give ourselves to you this morning, all of that, and may you just press in and make it clear. May your Holy Spirit just work in our lives. May we be working through these deep heart issues, these deep spiritual issues that we have of our own just failings, our own shame, um, our own just like vicious cycles that we do to each other, to ourselves and each other of judgment and, and putting pain on each other and and more punishment. Lord, we pray for your release in our lives, God. We ask that you would make us a more worshiping church, a place that we can just offer praise to you, that we would not forfeit the grace that could be ours because we're clinging to worthless idols and worthless practices, Lord. Let us be able to get to worshiping you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.